Well, good morning. Good morning. This is very, you're still pumped up. I'm still pumped up. <laughs> Back in 2000, there was a Harvard professor named Robert Putnam who authored a book called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Over the prior 25 years uh, before that, he noted some trends of social decline. This would be from 1975 to 2000. And he, some of these trends included things like attending club meetings. So if you think like Kiwanis or Lions Club, things like that, um, that was down 58% over that time. Uh, family dinners down 43% over that time. And having friends over was a 35% drop. This book released in 2009, so I kind of wonder, has the average American improved or worsened with that over the past 23 years? I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I mean, think about it, in that time, we've had two pretty incredible inventions, uh, you know, smartphone and social media. And both of those have good and bad to them. You know, uh, I was thinking about going out to eat. You know, what do you see when you go out to eat anymore? You know, you see a group of people, especially like some younger people sometimes, and none of them are talking to each other because they're all like this. Looking at, actually, they're all like, you know, just going nuts on their phone. I, I remember one time I was doing that, I think, at Disney World. Um, I had the iPhone and the, when it was first out, and it was, like, typing. They're like, I had an older couple. I was on the monorail, had an older couple across me, and the lady was like, I don't understand how you can do that so fast. I'm like, I don't either. I don't either. But now it's me that way. But And I'm, I'm really not trying to be an old man yelling at the clouds or anything, saying that phones are bad or that you can't have connections with people online. It's just that if you're with people... You should probably be present with the people that you're with, um, and, and they should be with you. And, and in-person is still better than online. There are benefits, but still there's something about being in the presence of other people that is better. And, you know, you think about how connected we are, but I wonder, you know, as connected as we are, how much community do we actually get in that? I mean, we are in the most connected area era we've ever been. I mean, we can communicate across the world on a video call with very little lag and everything. I mean, this is kind of a silly example, but my brother and I play Madden football online with each other, and we chat as we're doing it, and it's just like we're sitting in the same room. He's in Florida, and I'm up here. It's It's wild, but... How well do we connect with the people that are around us in our circles? Do we have a close-knit community? And if we don't have that close-knit community, where can we find that? And can we, as the church, be that for people? We've been in this series, the book of Acts. This is our fourth message. It's called The Church on the Move. And we're looking at the early church and the origins of the early church in Acts. And we're looking at early practices for the church. Last week, we looked at Peter's sermon proclaiming the gospel message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, calling for the people to repent and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were added to that number. And today, we're going to be looking at the next passage where we see kind of a summary of what the early church looked like. And it, it's short, it's what Tom just read, and you know, it's only six verses, but we're going to see in this summary how they had community with one another. 
And so the church devoted themselves, the early church, they devoted themselves to four practices that we see in this. It's in that first verse, in verse 42. They devoted, in cha- it's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now you think about it, there were 120 followers of Christ, and then that ballooned to 3,000 and 120, I don't know, but close to that probably. And they devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So we're going to look at each of these individually. And so the first one is the apostles' teaching. Now what would they have been teaching? Well, it would have been like what we saw with Peter. They would have been teaching the gospel, right? That's part of it, that Jesus taught for three years, lived the sinless life, did miracles, wonders, signs from God, which people saw, they witnessed, they heard his teaching. And then he was betrayed, he was arrested, and handed over to the Romans to be executed by crucifixion. He, was, he died, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later he rose from the dead, and he's now ascended into heaven to take his place at God's right hand. That's the gospel. That's, they would have been teaching that. They also would have been teaching what Jesus taught. Probably a lot about the kingdom of heaven and probably a lot of the parables, repeating the parables and and the things that he taught. And then they would have their own experiences and memories that they could draw from, right? Because they spent three years with Christ. And so they would have those. Plus, they would probably be connecting Old Testament stuff to Jesus as the Messiah, much like we saw in Peter's sermon last week, where he's quoting from the Old Testament prophet of Joel and from two different psalms. And he's tying those prophecies to Jesus. They're fulfilling what Jesus told them to do in Acts chapter 1, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They're also fulfilling the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is one of the ways that they were to make disciples. It was through their teaching. And the apostles' teaching to obey, it was their teaching to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. Right? It's spirit-led, it's God-led teaching. And so, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the second thing is that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is a Greek translation of the, or is an English translation for the word, Greek word koinonia. This is the only time it actually appears in Luke and Acts, the only time he uses it. Um, Paul uses this word, the apostle Paul uses this word a lot. And he uses it the most of the writers of the New Testament. The basic meaning of it is an association, a communion, a close relationship, or fellowship. And so what we were going to do, we're going to look kind of at the broad definition of it. And it basically just means, you know, connecting with one another. To do that, you got to have more than one person, right? Like you can't do Christianity by yourself. It doesn't really work that way. I mean, it can, but it's not. It's not ideal. It's not what God has set up. You have a community. You have fellowship. Fellowship is more than just getting together and sharing a meal or things like that. The author David Mathis writes, its essence was in their common Christ. 
and their common life-or-death mission together in his summons to take the faith worldwide in the face of impending persecution. As an example of this, think about the Lord of the Rings. In the first movie, you know, you have this group of nine people, hobbits and wizard and uh, a man, a dwarf and an elf, two men. And um, what were they called? Anybody know? Fellowship of the Ring, right. They're the fellowship. And they weren't just hanging out, right? They were on a journey, a life or death venture against a great evil. And that's kind of what we're on. And so it's not just hanging out with each other. It's taking care of one another. It's being on this journey together. Now, the third thing the church, early church devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. And this one is, quite simply, they ate together. They shared meals with one another. You had a lot of people coming in, right? 3,000 new people coming in after Peter's sermon. What's a great way to get to know people? Invite them over for a share a meal, right? Open your home to them. Sharing a meal helps break down a lot of barriers. And I'm sure we saw that in the early church. Plus, what a great time to go into one of the homes of the apostles or the original followers of Jesus and eat together and hear their stories in a more intimate setting. Also, they likely would have included the Lord's Supper as they ate. So they broke bread with one another. And the fourth thing is that they devoted themselves to prayer. They had a devotion to prayer. And we saw that with the apostles in Acts chapter 1 when they were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. What were they doing? They were waiting and they were together praying constantly. And it doesn't seem like it's stopped since then. Right? They're still praying. It's just more and more people have been added to their number. And that gives us a, a little bit of an overview for what the early church was doing. But it continues in verse 43, where it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, part of what the apostles did was to perform these signs and wonders, the miracles, right? And we're going to see an example of this next week uh, as we go through chapter 3. And these are similar to the miracles that Jesus did, things like healings. The phrase gets used, the phrase of uh, performing signs and wonders, that get, gets used in Acts a number of times, at least eight. It is interesting, though, it actually doesn't get used after Acts chapter 15, even though Paul still does miracles, so I don't know why they changed it that way. But, but in Acts, the miracles tend to specifically be attributed to the apostles, or those who are called apostles, and it makes me think of the 12, although Paul does but these, these signs and wonders were attributed to the apostles. And I, I don't think, you know, just because it gets attributed to them, I don't think, like, miracles have stopped happening today. Um, but I do think that this was a time where there was a very specific purpose for the miracles that were happening. For example, as we're going to see next week, we're going to look at a scene where Peter and John heal someone, and it, what it does it, is it opens up the opportunity for them to share the gospel in a, a greater setting. And with one person, I believe it's 2,000 more get saved. Now, I also still believe that we see God's work through miracles even today. So we've seen the overview. Let's get into a few specifics. Let's look at how the early church was unified. Verse 44. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Has anybody seen the, been out in California and seen redwood trees, the, the sequoias? Well, figured you had, but <laughs> I, I've, I have never gotten to go see those, but I really want to go see them. Um, never been to California, so Oregon was the closest I got, and that was weird enough. Uh, <laughs> sorry if there's anybody from Oregon here, but <laughs> you know if you are. <laughs> um, anyway, just some, some information on Redwood Tree. Well, no, they're big, uh, but the average height I looked up is 164 to 279 feet. That's so tall. The average diameter is 20 to 26 feet, but the roots only go 6 to 12 feet into the ground, which is wild to me. But they spread outward up to 100 feet. And apparently what you see is you see redwoods in, uh, see the sequoia trees in groves, and they'll intertwine with one another. And what they do is that, that provides them stability, and it shares nutrients and everything. And I think that's a pretty neat picture about community. You know, what we see in these two verses is the fellowship of the early church, the koinonia. And what did they do? They were, they were together, right? They had everything in common. So they were together. It was a gathered community. They had unity with one another. But they also had everything in common. And that talks about sharing with what they had with one another. Now, some people even today look at this and think, well, that's socialism or communism, but it's not, right? Because those are political frameworks. This isn't a political thing. This is a, a, voluntary, um, a voluntary community. And, and it's done not because you're forced to do it. It's done out of love for one another. And so if we look at it not in terms of politics, but in terms of family, which that's really what it is because we're all adopted sons and daughters of God, then I think that makes a lot more sense because when your family... You'll give what you can. You'll give what, you, what people need for the betterment of others. And that's what we see the early church do. They're helping each other out in love. And you've got to love somebody, right, if you're going to sell possessions to help them out. And that was their practice. When a need arose, they did whatever they could to meet that need. Now, we get to the last couple of verses, and we continue to see the unity that's being lived out in the early church. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we get another picture of what their lives were like here, a little more detailed picture. They're continuing to meet together at the temple, they say at the start, which means that they're still faithful to their heritage as Jews. But it was also a place where they could be faithful to their call as witnesses of Jesus. And we're going to see this play out in the coming weeks. They, broke, they also broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. As one commentator writes, if the temple was a, the place of worship, homes were the place for fellowship. And they continually praised God. And it's probably through prayer and worship, maybe at their home, maybe at the temple, we don't really have all the information for that. But because of all of this, though, God blessed them with a couple of different ways. It says that they enjoyed the favor of the people, and that's likely non-Christians. 
And so that, that favor kind of runs out after a bit, but right now they're enjoying the favor of the people. And then the second thing is that God added more and more saved people to their number every day. So again, we got that 3,000 that they, they just added, but they keep adding more people because they see this community and they see that it is something different. And it's, it's kind of amazing that that's what's happening, right? But it's also really simple what they're doing. You know, because sometimes we as a church can get a little bit too complicated for our own good. And ultimately, I think it comes back to these four things, these four practices. It's always helpful to go back and look at the early church and see what they did. Now, our problem today is that our culture is very individualistic, right? Like, we like our privacy. We're not real big on getting people involved in our business unless we have to. You know, if we have a problem, you know, we're going to try and figure it out on our own first, or we'll go watch a YouTube video and figure it out. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll ask somebody for a recommendation or something. And it's only when it gets like to where I can absolutely not do it, then maybe I'll get some help. Maybe. We also have a tough time with commitment in our culture today. You know, commitment's tough to find, uh, especially in community. And, you know, where do we see this? Well, think a kind of silly example is sports. You know, players. There's not much commitment with players anymore, like they can go anywhere in free agency. They're, it's not like it was, um, you know, you think NBA with like Larry Bird and Reggie Miller, Magic Johnson, they all start, they all ended their careers with the same team. I, I put Michael Jordan on there too, but then I remember that, that blip with the Wizards. Um, but that's also extended to college athletics too, because they've put the transfer portal in. So there's, they're going to go wherever they get the best deal, wherever they get the most exposure, things like that. And I'm not knocking this. I'm just stating facts anymore. Um, and it's not much better on the other side either because coaches, owners, management, you know, they're no different. They'll get rid of a player as soon as they can, as soon as they don't suit the team anymore. Um, think about Peyton Manning with, with the Colts. You know, he injured his neck. And then we had the next great thing we thought with Andrew Luck. And then they're like, okay, well, Peyton, thank you for your service and go somewhere else. And he did, and he went and won a Super Bowl. And we stunk. <laughs> anyway, that's, that is a silly example. But what about something like marriage, though? I mean, it's pretty easy to get a divorce nowadays for just falling out of love with your spouse. Now, sometimes there are good biblical reasons to get a divorce, and I don't, I'm not talking about that. But, I mean, how easy is it anymore? Now, there is some good news. Divorce rates have declined recently, according to the Census Bureau website. But then again, so have marriages. <laughs> then what about the church? I mean, we have a term for people that do this. You know, church hoppers, church shoppers. You know, they stay in the church for a number of years, and then something happens and they leave. A lot of times it's all preferential. You know, they, they didn't like the music. That would be nobody here. You know. <laughs> they didn't like the preaching. That could be some of you here. I don't know. <laughs> they say something like, well, I didn't feel like I was being fed. COVID exposed a lot of this. A lot of churches lost people during that time where we were shut down. Either they were upset that we shut down or they went to a different church that stayed open. and Or they were mad that we were 
we required a mask mandate. By the way, we didn't kick anybody out if they didn't wear a mask when they came. Like, oh well, that was four years ago now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I noticed a couple things with that. First one is that hurt a lot of relationships in the church for people that did that because you know you spent years with these people built those relationships, and then one day they're just like, yeah, no, I'm no longer part of your family. It's like, what? But then there was another thing, too, because you realize that there were a lot of people who didn't really build any relationships in the church. And so it's pretty easy to pack up and go then. And so what we need to do is we need to get back as best we can always reminding ourselves of how the first church was. And we're not going to be perfect at that because it is 2,000 years later. We are a different culture. It's a different time. But we can still take the principles from this passage, and we can try and apply them as best we can in our context and time. And so we look at this passage, and we see the four, these four elements the early church devoted themselves to. We see the apostles' teaching. That means that as followers of Jesus, we've, we, we should have a desire for God's word, to learn from God's word. I am not saying I'm an apostle, no. But I am at least called to, by God, to teach, to preach God's word. And that's what we do, but we, we all should have a craving for that. First Peter, Peter writes in First Peter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And we grow up in this. Now, we, we're not always going to want spiritual milk because we're going to want something more, more solid food as we mature, like Paul talks about. But the point is that we're always craving the Word of God. And so we here at Maple Grove, we teach from the Word of God, right? That's why, you know, it's the basis for everything we do. That's why our sermon series are scripturally based. That's why we go through large sections of books of the Bible, because that's way better than me coming up with something. We believe that the Bible is God's revealed word to us, that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for the past 2,000 years, supernaturally preserved. And it's telling the redemptive story of Christ. And so we, would, we just want to tell that story. So they devoted themselves to the, to the word, they devote themselves to fellowship. This is part of the passage where it says they had everything in common, right? Selling property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. And they would have met together in the homes and the temple complex. And this is where our individualistic nature makes us a little tough on us. You know, maybe we don't open our home to hospitality or things like that. It could be for a lot of reasons. Maybe because we're private. It could be because the place is a mess and we don't want anybody over. Um, but it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect to have people over. You know, my place, I live by myself, so it actually does stay pretty organized and clean. Um, people who know me know that I, I don't have OCD, but I like things where they're supposed to go. Um, I've got things pretty organized. And I've got my small group comes over, and I'll have friends over. And one of them apparently embraces chaos because, you know, it's kind of a simple thing, but I've got these chip clips, you know. <laughs> they go on the fridge when they're not being used. And I put them up there in a nice orderly fashion, right? 
Like, you know, not, not OCD, not OCD. But, you know, like there was one time that I had my chip clips. I had a bunch of them up there because I didn't have a lot of chips apparently at the time. Um, but I had them in a nice little three rows of three. And they look beautiful. And my friend is going to get some water from the fridge. And I just see it in his face for a second. He just looks up at there and he's just like. I looked at him, and I muttered, I hate you. (sighs) Quote, unquote, friend. I'm not going to say who it is, but they know. They know. Because they did it last week. Not Austin, actually, so. It's not that friend. It was fine. I could put him back. Anyway, it's just a reminder that everything doesn't have to be perfect to have somebody come over. There's a pastor and his wife who would host um, a lot of church activities from their home. And the wife said that for years she felt like she did nothing but clean up after people. And one group would leave. She'd get the house in shape before the next group comes. And sometimes if she knew somebody wasn't going to come over, what'd she do? She was like, you know what? I'm going to let that sit for a minute. I'm not going to get it ready. It's fine. But then somebody from church, kind of surprised, showed up, and she's like, okay, here's what she said. She said, hospitality before pride. I reminded myself dismally. (laughs) Determined, I welcomed the woman with warmth, invited her into the unsightly rooms, and refused to embarrass her with apologies. I consciously let go of my pride. And the visitor's response amazed her, because the visitor said, well, I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we can be friends. Because we're not perfect, right? We always try and put the facade up that we're perfect, but we're not. And so have people over. Open your home to them. You know, I've said this before, but I love it when I go to somebody's house and they've not cleaned up for me because it's me. Like, I'm nobody. Like, it's fine. I'm not silently judging you unless your chip clips are crazy on your (laughs) fridge. But the point of hospitality is that That's the best way we can grow closer to one another. That's the best way we get to know one another. You know, it's not here on Sunday mornings because, I don't know if you noticed, it gets crazy around here on Sunday mornings. We're all trying to come in, find our seats, yell at somebody if they're in our seat. Um, I'm just kidding. You would never do that. Although some of you have moved in different places, you know. (laughs) But, you know, this isn't the best forum to get to know somebody deeply. Yeah, that's in our homes. It's, it's inviting somebody to dinner. It's, it's in a small group. It's intentionally investing into the lives of others. And the benefits of that are when difficult times come, then we're quick to respond. Whether it's financial, whether it's you know, something wrong with your house, whether it's relational, whatever. Like We're far more willing to help out with somebody when we've built stronger relationships with them. Right? And we do that through devoting ourselves to fellowship. Now, I get to brag on you a bit because you guys are really good at this. You, know, you're, you're, you are good at being open with each other. And, and I mean, we can always be better, right? But you help out. And we've, I've been on the receiving end of that and giving into that, I hope. Heard about it. You know, and so I want you to feel good about that. Like I'm not trying to come down hard on you or anything. But we can always be better. 
Now, the third thing is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And we eat together, right? And first and foremost, let's talk about Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper, we take communion every week following the sermon. And we do that because we think that's an important part of the service. And we want you to remember, you know, that when you leave. And, you know, we also do that because we do it every week. Not every church takes communion every week. I was surprised when I went down to my brother's church the first time because it was like, where's, where's communion? He's like, oh, no, we take that like once every three months. I'm like, what? He's like, we want to make sure that, it's, that it keeps its importance because it can become routine when you do it every week if you let it. But we try not to let it. Um, but we also think the early church, every time they met, they took communion. Now, the other part of breaking bread is what we talk about, sharing a meal with people. And again, it's a great way to get to know somebody. We do try and help facilitate this at church because, what, three, four times a year, we get together to eat as a church. You guys are really good cooks, and it's awesome. Um, whether it's harvest dinner, whether it's a fall picnic, Christmas, Mother's Day breakfasts, men's breakfasts during the months. And, and, and so it, it is a time where you can sit and talk to people that you may not get to talk to a whole lot. And so... They break bread together. Now, the fourth thing is they devoted themselves to prayer, and that's what we would call corporate prayer. You know, we can pray individually, and you should. You should always keep that line of communication open between you and God. And, but uh, here's something, though, that if you're, if you're interested in trying to improve your prayer life, here's something that some people might think could help your prayer life. Here's a picture of it. This is called the Holy Spirit Board. By Holy Spirit Games. I thought it was a joke when I heard about this. This is a real thing you can buy. Um, this is based on a Ouija board. Do not buy this. <laughs> oh, my. It says, communicate directly with Jesus Christ. You don't need it. You've already got direct communication with Jesus Christ. Also in the description, it says, unlike other spiritual boards, this one will never contact evil ghosts or demons. So you can ask your questions with an assured sense of safety, which sounds exactly what an evil ghost or demon would say. Don't buy that. I just put it up there for fun. Um, what could actually help is corporate prayer, because we should be praying together. We should be praying with one another. Praying with each other, praying for each other, praying for people outside the church, praying for the lost, praying for our missionaries, etc. Prayer is how we talk to God, so it is a big deal that we do it. And so we need to be praying together regularly. Now for us at Maple Grove, we've got a prayer list that goes out every Tuesday via email. Um, well, Tuesday or Wednesday each week. It goes out every week. And the prayers on that list, they come from the Connect cards Austin was talking about. And so there's a thing on the back of it that's like a prayer request. You can fill that out, put it in the prayer request box out in the foyer. There's also on our website, there's a button for prayer requests that you can submit. And that goes directly to the office or me. And, um, and we'll make sure we get it on the prayer list. Also, you can email prayer at maplegrove.church. And if you don't remember that, it'll be up on the screen after the service because it's always on the, the pre and post service uh, slides, but we, wanna, we want you to be able to submit your prayers, however, whatever's the easiest way to do it. You can text me too if you want. Um, 
If you're not receiving the prayer list, it means we probably don't have your email in the system or it's just wrong in the system because that's happened before. Um, you just let me or Val know about it and we'll get it figured out. But we've got our prayer list. We've also got our midweek service once a month that is this week. And we do that every month except we, we didn't do it in December because of Christmas. We're not going to do it in March because of Easter. Um, but every other month we'll be doing it. That service has a 20-minute time of worship, a 20-minute time where we just read Scripture, and a 20-minute time of prayer. And that prayer time is open for you to pray as you need. Whether you group up with people, you pray on your own. Kyle stays in here and he plays some nice soft music. And when it gets warmer, the whole property is open. You can go pray wherever. And we, what we do is we just set you free to pray. But if you need something to pray, we do always print out the prayer list along with some other prayer needs like praying for the leadership of the church because we always appreciate that. Um, But it's such an important thing for us to come together and pray. Now, we have started a new thing, too, that we've not publicized at all, but we're doing it today to publicize it a bit. But Casey's taken on, uh, Casey, who is our our, uh, student ministries director, he's taken on the role as our deacon for prayer as well. And one of the things he wanted to do was basically just have a time where the church would be open and available for people to come and pray. And it's, it's really just that simple. So on Wednesday evenings, although not this Wednesday, but on Wednesday evenings that are not on the midweek service, the, the doors will be open, the, the place will be open from 6 to 7 p.m. And it's just open for prayer. It's voluntary. It's not like a small group where you have to be here every week. It's just a time where the church is available to you for prayer. And we think that that is important. So we'll commit to doing that. So that's every week. All right. There's a short passage. Man, packed for being only six verses. But this shows what Christian community can and should look like. And it's really fulfilling the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also the second of loving your neighbor as yourself. And even more than that, maybe, the the passage from John where Jesus says, you know, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. Because that's how people are going to know that you're my followers. When we love one another in a way that is different than the world. Because we shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't look like any other club in this town. We should be different, distinct as Christians. And this is one of the ways that we do it. We love one another in such a way. And so we devote ourselves, like the early church, to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And we continually praise God as we do so for giving us this community at Maple Grove to worship him. And we should pray that he will add to our number daily those who are being saved because they see something different about us, that we have hope outside of this world in our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the model of the early church. It's not even a model. It's just how they lived. How these people 2,000 years ago 
lived, trying to live out best what Jesus taught them. And so, Lord, we, we just want to follow in their footsteps. And we want to devote ourselves to the same things that they did. The teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, the prayer. As a, as a body here at Maple Grove. And Lord, we do this because of what you've done for us. We're not doing it to try and earn your favor. We're not trying to do it to, you know, just, we're not trying to make you happy necessarily, but or make you love us more. We do it because you already love us. You loved us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord. We come to the point in our service where we do take communion, where we come around the table as Jesus did with his apostles on the night he was betrayed. And we take the body that's broken for us, or the bread that's broken for us, that's representative of his body. We take the blood that is the representative of his blood, but also the cup of the new covenant. And we take both of those, we remember the sacrifice that he made, but we also remember the promise of the future that he will return and one day we will we will sit around the table with him. Oh, what a day that will be. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.